Welcome to the Singleton Noise Podcast. I'm Chris Leonard, joined by the Grammy-nominated Sam Boone. Also, happy birthday to Sam. Happy birthday yeah. to Samuel. And Kyle Turnside. How's it going? Hi, hello. I was Grammy-nominated too. F*** yourself. You were? Yeah. You did mention that. Come join the club. I don't know. Yeah. Sam thinks it's not a big deal. I think it's a big deal. It's the Kyle is it the same? Is, does it count if you like made a record that went aluminum? Is that yes. along the same sure. line? Frankincense, aluminum, it all okay. counts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that man. the first South Park reference that we had? I, maybe. I'm not sure. Is your mic jacked up again? Son of a bitch. Oh, you're I heard a, that. On make, the, you're I making a that. remix album again here, Kyle. I was listening to the most recent podcast and heard his little mic All right, mix. Here we go. Stop. You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. Have you noticed that all good things come in threes? XLR, AES, meat, cheese, and tortillas, Michael Lawrence, Chris Leonard, and Kyle Chernside, and now the Alan and Heath AHM Matrix family, AHM 64, AHM 32, and AHM 16. 96 kilohertz FPGA-powered sonic powerhouses for projects of all sizes. Who says matrices have to be boring? Not us. We've never said that. Kyle said it once, but we proved him wrong. Check them out today. Welcome to <laughs> Welcome to the Sick of Noise podcast. Or welcome for the I'm first Chris time. Lent or first time. I didn't say back. I just said welcome anyway. Man, this is this is how it rolls, people. Grammy nominated Sam Boone, culture inside. How's it going? Happy birthday, Samuel. <laughs> Thanks. I think that's like Chris's new favorite like fact about me. You just like yeah, won't let it it's go. Pretty, well, and you play it off like it's nothing. So you know, I mean, it's it's. I thing. listened to the thing that she sent that she got Grammy nominated for. It was actually I did not send that. Oh, Chris, that Chris was, sent it to me. I did. Chris found that. I feel like you like stalked my Instagram to find. It was that. it was pretty cool. Things happen. And how did I explain it? It's like the skits in the middle of a rap song put to spoken word. <laughs> It's, it's, that it's, is it's what called, it is. It is it's, it's spoken yeah, it's word. Slam, it's slam poetry. It's, it's what it is. It is a spoken word record. That is an accurate statement. Everybody wants to be Chuck D still. That's all I got to say. <laughs> no one is saying you're wrong, and I'm just going to leave that right there. I wanted to be Chuck D since I was a teenager. Anyway, let's. Uh, we I don't think we we're ever on the rails, so I can't necessarily say we were going to get it back on the rails. But anyway, um, let's jump right into our guests and what we have this week. It's something different uh, and cool in a couple different ways. Um, so we got two people from Feld Entertainment, uh, which uh, many of you may not what that is, but we're we're going to find out together if you don't know. Um, and the two guests that I have are Brandon Conley, uh, who is my, yeah. is my current director of audio at IMS. Um, and we got Brad Barrage as well from currently of Feld. So welcome, guys. How's it going? Um, not too bad. Glad to be here. Where are you guys joining us from? Brandon, first. Uh, I'm in Claymont, Delaware. So right outside of Philly. Delaware. Delaware. 
I've been there. I'm not to Claymont, but I've been to Delaware. I mean, you pretty much just trip and fall into the next city there. So <laughs> I can easily like walk into probably two different states, like no problem. <laughs> it's it's, it's got to be cool. Every time I go there, I'm like, I want a, my own fisherman hat. Like <laughs> for some reason, it just reminds me of like the old movies with the old fishermen. Like everyone lives on docks and stuff. Like it is so pretty there. No matter what time of year it is, it's like. It's beautiful. Like the old buildings, the old towns. It's it's really neat. Yeah, I mean, Kyle, you're making me want to go to Delaware. I like Delaware. Well, let's if it, that's only if you're in the first couple miles down by the coast. I would say the rest of Delaware had nothing nothing to do with any right, of that. Well, go to the cool spots. <laughs> Brad, where where are you joining us from? Uh, I'm in Bradenton, Florida. That's south. Florida. I I've heard of that. Tampa. Yeah. Around Sarasota. I have family down uh, on the Gulf Coast. I have family in Venice Beach. Very cool. Uh, a friend of Brandon and ours lives in Venice Beach. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, so let's, let's let's jump into this in terms of people don't know what Feld is, uh, but you a lot of people probably don't know what Feld is, but you know what Disney on Ice is, Marvel Live, Sesame Street Live, Jurassic World, the Circus, all those fun things. So, Brandon, how did you get into Feld and what's some of the work you did with Feld? And that'll kind of fill us in on, on what, what Feld Entertainment is. Uh, yeah, what a, what a wild question because it's, <laughs> you know, um, I, it kind of all started when uh, I got out of uh, college and I, I was, you know, um, basically fighting for something, you know, in the, in the industry and uh, <clears throat> kind of on the grind. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really know uh, what direction I wanted to go into. I know I wanted to tour, um, you know, and it was just kind of a struggle. And the the first door that opened my way um, was an invite out to the circus and uh, with Ringling Brothers. Um, you know, I was just kind of playing around, um, knew some people that were working with Feld, and and they said, you know, uh, they're constantly looking for new people. You could probably get signed on really easy which led to a, uh, a conversation with, uh, someone on the show support side of, uh, the, uh, the company at the time. And, and they said, Hey, we got an opening. Um, how, how fast can you fly out? And after that call, it was basically just a, a bum rush on a flight to DC. Um, I, I think within getting off the plane, they took me to the circus train itself. Um, and we're like, throw your bags down. We're taking you to the venue. So basically crawled on, on board the train, you know, a room where, you know, your, your arm from one side to the other is touching each wall threw my bags down and was off to the, to, uh, the venue basically. And was basically sitting down at the monitor desk that night. Was that Fairfax? Uh, no, it's Washington. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> you, you did, you did. So have, what, pre- if you had to play Fairfax for your first gig with a company, that, uh, that'd be kind of depressing. Yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, very fast. It happened very, very fast. Um, from a phone call to basically being behind a desk. Um, That's awesome. and you know, I, I'm, I was fresh at that point. I mean, uh, you know, getting out the door out of college and just kind of knowing what I want to do. I mean, you know, I was sitting behind a D five and I, I had never even been, behind anything close to you know that size basically getting run down right there um it was very overwhelming very scary very awesome um and and that was kind of my you know how how i got roped into a a 10-year adventure basically nice 
So, well, let's not give it, give hold real quick. So, give it, given recent podcast episodes and trends here, let's not gloss over where did where did you go to school? I went to Full Sail. Um, you Perfect. know, yeah, yeah. Um, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, I didn't know audio is what I wanted to do. I was working some local colleges and kind of like gigging some fun bands and just kind of you know in a, in a music scene and and. Um, some techie type guys kind of got me into audio and I was like, I could run with this. I could do this. And I had no direction and didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, me, me and a buddy kind of talked one night and he's like, you should go to the school. It'll, it'll sort you out. And, you know, that that was the direction I took. And and that's kind of what I was looking at when I looked through your LinkedIn resume. It was, it was cool because you did spend a bunch of time around music and music production before you ended up with Ringling. So jumping right into the circus, figurative and literally as well, um, (laughs) you, you were sort of prepared, but I'm sure when you showed up, the preparation you had had nothing to do with with camels or a train or um, what you were about ready to experience. So I, I, I want to know about that. Cause I used to work with a guy who worked for Ringling like back in the day yeah. when, when it was like the movie Dumbo. And uh, that's how he ex- explained it because he was like one of the only dudes on the thing that had technical ability. Everybody else was kind of born into the Ringling family so to speak so when you got there what kind of things did you run into where you were like whoa this is like nothing i read about or done or saw i honestly i I think the the first time i was like what have i got myself into was when (laughs) we're sitting behind uh monitors and um the lions are coming out and they kind (laughs) of come come around um monitor world and um they uh they like when they pee it's like projectile <laughs> yeah so like we're covering the console i'm like what, what's happening right now we're covering the console and we're getting like like road crate lids and it's just like yeah when the lions come around when we're, when we're this close you got to watch out um so, so that was just kind of like a you know uh th- this is kind of wild right That's now funny. I, I think the, the only other people who could say they had to cover the console from someone peeing on it is marilyn manson <laughs> but anyway well, it was, it was so funny too because i mean it was it was like such a thing that we used to even take squirt bottles and we like sneak behind the uh you know the the curtain line and, and hit the band guys like squirt them from behind <laughs> oh, <it's> like, <laughs> this is exactly what i wanted to hear you didn't say anything about technical ability <laughs> lions at monitor world peeing this is the best um yes how was the operation Absolutely. like when you walked into it was there a structure to things that were going on or was it the thing that we thought about where it was like the freaking circus like you were you were in the circus it, it was there it, the circus is super efficient I mean, in every aspect, um, you know, from from a text standpoint to the train, the movement, everything. I mean, looking even back, uh, the the military, I think, even went to the circus to learn how to load their trains. I mean, it's it's a very like, you know, this is 365. Awesome. This is year round tour. It is precision. Um, and, and we did it to like a fine tune level, you know. Um, and I mean, it's to the point where, you know, you're hitting the same venues every two years so it's just you, you know and a, and a lot of the guys you know they've done it for so long um you know it's just 
it's very fine tuned. Yeah, there were some uh, some of our older stagehands that knew venues better than the venue production managers. Mm. So, Brad and Brandon, was there? Uh, obviously, there's characters. Mm-hmm. Was there a character that you were just like, oh man, this chick or this dude, where like they'd been in the <laughs> Ringling family, and you were like, oh, this bit again type thing <laughs> like there there had to be like i know there wasn't a freak show because it's not a ringling type thing but i'm sure there was folks that you were like oh my lord that's that's circus folks like the trapeze people they're family right <laughs> oh there yeah there, there's a lot of that actually i mean i mean a lot of these guys have been circus their whole life they're they're very like hardcore circuit circus you know um like uh Alex Petrov was one of the, one of the guys, um, he did a, a lot of the animal acts and he, he was pretty much there his whole life. Uh, he did a couple different, um, shows, but, uh, just a badass, like a total badass. I mean, he goes in from working with lions to then he's on a motorcycle high wire shooting across, you know, a piece of steel and just, you know, um, and then his whole family was out there too. And, and that's, a, I think another thing about the tour that was very interesting was, it was very family oriented where there is uh, like a nursery and a school and family. And um, it, it, it's a very weird place, you know, like we, we would walk up the train and it's each couple train cars you get to, it's a different um, country, you know, it's, it was a very interesting experience in the cultural aspect of it, you know? It's awesome. So let's, 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 and I, you didn't just do the circus, you did Disney nice and some other stuff, but let's, Brad, so what was your introduction to Feld and, 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 and what was your involvement getting into, into Feld? Well, uh, for the better part of the last decade, I was a freelance designer and engineer and consultant. I was focusing primarily on theater where I was doing sound design, uh, some composition. I would do system design when necessary and uh pick up whatever gig i could find here a few people that i would gig out with doing sound uh and side hustles all over the place that was gig a gig worker and um i have two kids and after the second one was born i was you know i was successful but success is 250 days a year on the road when I've made these two children. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. my two life choices aren't congruent. So uh, I mentioned to a friend of mine, like, hey, I'm looking for a change. And about six months later, he called and said, hey, if you know anyone, and he rattled off the details of my now job. uh, I said, really? Oh, that sounds interesting. Where is it? He's like, in Florida. He's like, okay, bye. Uh, I'm good. But then I thought about it for a little bit and uh, talked to him, ended up talking to some of the operations and people at Feld, some of the human resources people who have been there forever uh, that know the full history of the company. And I was really intrigued. They needed to bring in someone almost like creating a new position uh, with the same title as before, but uh, they needed to modernize. Uh, as Brandon would mention on a D5, a, a Digicode D5, we still had those in service in 2017. Uh, and there, there's a lot of 
older designs that you know are effective to a point but now have gotten so old that they couldn't be maintained properly anymore and there was just a general direction and need for sound in the company to participate fully in the storytelling because uh, visually things were only getting be- bigger and better and more exciting and the audio just wasn't matching mm. what was happening visually so i saw a show uh and saw uh, uh, saw the circus and saw what the potential was and it was one of those things you know like all of us do when we go to a gig we're like I wouldn't hang out that way. I don't like that. I don't, that's not a good console choice. Um, so I kind of walked around and did that. And, you know, at the time I wasn't even sure I wanted the job, but the person who's now my boss asked, so what do you think? What would you do with it? And so I just said, you know, I would start over. Uh, and, I think the boldness of that is ended up what ended up selling me to them on the job. And then listening to it is what sold me on them to take the job. So I started in December of 2016 and two months after I started, they announced the circus was closing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, uh, as you learn when you establish with a company longer, the economics of that were actually advantageous to running a business to close the circus. So, uh, you know, then I was diving into Disney on ice shows and, uh, all the other big shows, Marvel, Jurassic, uh, and then they launched Sesame street while I was there. They've done some activations. It's there's never, never really a dull moment. Well, let's uh, let's give people a perspective. Let's take Disney on Ice for example. Um, what what does a system look like? Uh, and, and I know they're varying, but what what are some of the general concepts that need to be in play? And, and I know these, but I want to make sure we take everyone else along the journey, both from from a speaker design, playback. Like, what are the elements that we're talking about here? So people get a scope of what is felt. So I don't know if uh, you know, however you two want to toss that around, but um, that's something that would be good to. To get some framework on well from my point of view it's very it's not about any sound things when i start to consider what the system is uh it's got to be reliable repeatable and affordable so we try to pick out gear that we know is a little more reliable and then you know so like on the front end of a system we're doing primarily playback mixing in some mics into it uh but we're using qlab it's reliable affordable uh that flows through a system and uh we do yamaha on the front end for all of the ice shows with qls and cls when needed and that processes back through a redundant network a truly redundant network not just uh Dante AB, we have Dante AA and Dante BB. And they run and they're completely split. Uh, so there's our reliability and redundancy, and all that can switch over just with one hotkey. And that uh, on a majority of the ice shows, Disney on ice shows are distributed Meyer systems, and it's CQs and UPAs. Uh, and then 
Our other system designed for Disney on Ice uses Martin WPM. And that's actually the show that Brandon launched. You want to that talk <laughs> about that setup? Because that's a little more interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Brad, when he first found me out on uh, Disney on Ice, I was actually with the oldest system, uh, the one that was about to come off the road permanently. Um, had launched in 1995. Yeah, 1995. I think the speakers have been out on the road for 23 years. Old amp system. Uh, John Meyer himself probably built the boxes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, so Brad found me out there and basically um, I, I think it was my stage manager. Someone came to me with, hey, you know, we're, we're doing a new show. We're doing an updated system. We want you to be the head of it. Um, and, you know, I, of course, I was up for the challenge. Um, it was super exciting. I mean, especially ending the oldest show that Feld had going into the newest baddest system. Well, newest baddest system that, uh, you know, an ice show had uh, w- was pretty exciting. Uh, and, you know, I got to pretty much oversee the build, um, which it's I had my hands on everything from ground up, which that was very exciting. Fun. Yeah. So I'm putting the racks together. I'm, you know, rigging challenges, things that, you know, popped up. I mean, that system had never been in play. I mean, it's not something that we could just follow the, this is what was, what's been done in the past. This is completely new and, you know, under Brad's management and, and show support, you know, I got to put the pieces together and, and solve some of the challenges and it it was a very fun experience. And then it kind of gave ownership to, you know, for me, I, I felt I still feel proud of that show. I, I still know the guys on that show. It's, you know, I'm still in contact with them. And it's I almost put you back <laughs> out on it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know. It was like my baby that I got to build. And and, you know, I, I think that's where, um, you know, kind of this p- kind of played out into to moving even up further into Feld. Um, and, and taking on more of a design aspect because uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that experience. It, it was a lot of fun um, creating the SO. Yeah, and we yeah. saw yeah, well, Brandon was tight. He was he killed it on that show. And that showed me that, uh, you know, he's going to master this and he's going to be ready for something else. So as soon as I had more positions open and expanded the department, uh, I gave him a call. <laughs> And then I had to fight with the show management over when he started for me. (laughs) (laughs) Had to like barter away things. Like, here's a free hotel room night. Send him over. How about uh, talk about some of the other? I know you guys um, with like Marvel and Jurassic. Those, I mean, for people who maybe haven't gotten the picture yet, I mean, this you guys are doing theater is really what you're doing on a an arena scale, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's and I, it's 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 funny when I was when I used to take my daughter years ago, I didn't think much about it, and now that you know, talking to Brandon and through the process, I was like, man, you know, this is actually like. Um, it's some intense production done in these theaters. And, um, you know, one of the conversations actually that I've had, you know, with a couple, you know, Brandon and Brad and, and GWs and mm-hmm. other guys I fell at them like, Hey, it's, I can understand why, um, you know, the, from a, let's, let's face it from a, from a tour aspect or like, well, if these speakers have been covering, why do I need to change this? Right. Like, how, you know, how do you make that argument for change? Like if they work before, why, why don't they work now? You know, um, and one of the things that GW told me um, that you guys 
um, approach from a philosophy standpoint is you're not just, oh, I know what I said. Sorry. I'm like, you know what? I told Brandon this. I'm like, you my, my four-year-old daughter, this is the best experience of her life, and she's not going to care whether there's a UPAs in the air, right? Um, or right, she just needs to hear Moana or or whatever, and 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 sing along with Elsa, right? Um, but then you know, GW was like, it's yeah, but the thing is, is it's not just kids that are here, right? For every one or two kids, you have you know one or two adults or more, and like we have to entertain them as well, you know. So keeping that the entertainment value, you know, those parents aren't going to be as inclined to come back the next time if they're not also entertained and so taking that production to the next level both from a kid element to an adult element i imagine some of that mindset um came into play especially with marvel and jurassic when your audience is now tipping higher up than some of the the disney if if i can even expand on that um you know it's not even just the states that we're thinking you know this is this is a worldwide product i mean we're taking this to to towns and places where nothing's ever been there. I mean, there's no concerts going through there. We're talking small towns in Japan and South America where this is like ACDC hidden stage. I mean, you know, like literally when you play Cordoba, Argentina, you couldn't even imagine like how loud these people get and how pumped they are from every age up. I mean, they don't get a chance to go to Disney world. This is like, Mm. it's nuts for them, you know? And, uh, yeah, we put, we play to fifty and when we're fully running fifty countries a year to thirty million people. Wow, those are some numbers. Yep. Yeah, and and what <laughs> Brandon was was talking about in in terms of the exposure, and I and I think that's felt is the longest licensee of Disney that exists. So we've been doing it since nineteen eighty two. Uh, is that we're the only way that a lot of people get to touch everything they've seen on TV or at the movies. So, and it puts it right there. And when you're, you know, four to eight years old, the experience is a lot bigger. So we count on that. And then we count on uh, making the parents happy with what we offer them in terms of value. And that's why, you know, our shows, you can still buy a ticket for 15 to 20 bucks. Uh, And, we have a plethora of toys and popcorn and snow cones and everything, and we do sell I'm, and do I'm it. Well aware. <laughs> Chris had one of each. <laughs> yes, and but it's interesting. You know, we tour city to city with our own popcorn maker, and we they make popcorn for every city. Like you, you always know. Like towards the end of load in, the smell starts wafting into the to the main arena, and it's popcorn time. And then there's also make their own s- snow cones and special snow cone yeah, they, cups. They used to come down at loadout and it like they would drop all the huge gigantic bags of popcorn that they collected down at like, uh, you know, the dasher level. So while you're loading out, you're just taking handfuls of popcorn and eating it. <laughs> That's awesome. Carbs. That's good. That gives you some quick energy. That's um, awesome. Go ahead, Sam. Oh, so you mentioned you guys are one of the longest running uh, licensors of Disney. Uh, how do you take Disney into consideration just with the overall experience? Does Disney have any input or certain guidelines that you guys have to follow? Um, yeah. I'm assuming so. I mean, it's Disney, but uh, I'd yeah, love to hear more about that. Sure. For the casting of the princesses, there is the the same thing that we've heard about at the park. Like you have to fit into what they've described as this princess. Um we collaborate with them extensively on all of our show structures and stories. 
they do get approval over everything. They get approval over the script, over the casting, over the costumes. And so it's a, but it's a very symbiotic relationship because we are, we become an, an ambassador to Disney or for Disney. That's really cool. But, um, but you guys actually, the production, GW's explained to me, so you guys have to re-record all that music, right? So don't you, you mean, so Feld, Feld as a company is way bigger than just sound, right? We're kind of focusing on sound here, but like you guys own the whole product. Everything yeah, we're super what, nuts. Yeah, every, um, every we, bit of stage we design. We design and create our own toys uh, uh-huh. that we sell at the at all the shows. We uh, build everything ourselves. Uh we have a huge costume department, uh, a lighting department that, you know, every show has a design with it or designers that have worked on them and put them out. So, yeah, it's it can be you know, and we do re-record. We don't just take the song from the movie and put it out on stage. We go and contract an orchestra and do our own arrangement and record it and mix it and put it out put it out in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania for Chris Leonard. There we go. <laughs> Have you guys um, drifted into the immersive designs now, or are you still sticking to more of a traditional audio pattern? I mean, uh, things, when you say Marvel, I, I think things flying around and, and different things happening in the show. Have you guys got into the immersive audio thing yet? Well, it, it it's you know immersive is kind of a loaded word i True. think um we there's nothing that we've done theatrically that uh would maybe be considered mainstream immersive however we've done uh plenty of activations uh one with monster jam which is our own brand that we own we did a monster jam thunder alley in cedar fair parks all around the country. We did Nickelodeon Slime City in Miami as the co-producer with them. Uh, We did Trolls the Experience in New York, which was a two-story troll transport to the land of the trolls. All all our daughters are going to start running in here if you keep I gotta keep my headphones. <laughs> You're gonna yeah. summon the children. We, I've been to see Peppa Pig. Holy cow! I've been to see a ton of them, but the experience, like you said, it is very family orientated. So when you send people out to do the show, are they more or less operators at that point? Do they have creative control, or do they just basically have a program show where it's operated from a certain aspect? Brandon, why don't you talk about how it was before I started, and then we can talk about where it's ended up. Uh, as far as quality control, as far as the, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, coming out of rehearsals, um, it, it kind of lands on the PM to maintain the, the quality and the look of the show, um, you know, which is uh, generally when you go out the door is a nightly meeting um, with the crew with uh, two representatives from the cast, um, just kind of quality control. Um, they usually lighten up a little bit as far as the tour goes on um, and things get really dialed in. Um, yeah, but like when you would launch a show mm-hmm. before, like I remember that phrase we would hear from people that no are no longer with the company, like it should sound just like it does in these headphones. Yeah. Well, you know... I think a lot of the thing was uh, 
I mean, as far as like the, from the music aspect is, you know, when it comes out the studio, it's, it's not going to sound the same when it comes out the PA and, uh, you know, what it, what it sounds like in your headphones and, and the decisions you make there isn't always going to translate well. And, um, you know, sometimes I would get music or changes that would be a, a conversation, um, you know, from that decision, from the, the studio standpoint coming now through my PA. For us, uh, for me, from like the, you know, the QC from afar, um, I want operators who can, who know what my idea or the director's idea of the show is. And they have to understand that and render the audio within that box, that creativity box. And, and so I'm looking for people like Brandon who have the confidence to make decisions for the betterment of the show. So there's, there's not, you're not remixing the show every venue, uh, but you are maintaining a, a very delicate balance between hearing Mickey Mouse properly, no, you know, being able to sing along to the music and not blowing away four-year-old's ears. How about also uh, GW kind of explained to me what the, maybe the tuning process was GW? like in a previous, sorry, a guy. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, GW Rodriguez is uh, in my department. We work together. He's kind of my right hand for system design. Uh, he's a great teacher and, and uh, a whiz with the technology. A whiz. Yes. So, oh, so I yes. actually I got to do an advanced smart class with GW at the end of nineteen. Um and Oh, um, you were one of you were one of the chosen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um and um and so so and that was interesting. And then uh so GW happened to be at the show that I just saw up at Wilkesbear, and so we you know were talking about some things and uh I he explained to me what the tuning process was like in a previous lifetime, you know, maybe pre pre Brad and then where it is now. So that's, I think another area where you can maybe describe maybe some of the transition you've done, Brad, where like, from what I heard, it was like cookie cutter. You had to do this, you had to do this benchmark. There's no room for interpretation. Whereas now it's more of an education and, and things like that. Can you maybe talk yeah. to, yeah, it was, what, t- it was tuned to the line. Uh, they used Meyer Sim. They could save the, the traces from the rehearsal venue or for the opening venue and the, Tex had to tune the system to that line. And, you know, we all know that it's not, it's different in every single venue, sometimes dramatically different. So uh, the show sometimes didn't sound very good. Uh, because it was robotic uh, to the point where, you know, um, it's, it's, you should make this cut here or you should do this here. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the, a lot of the heads, you know, through time, you just learn your system and you, and you, you know, you start just making your own choices at the end of the day. But um, the SOP was kind of just a robotic feel. Yeah, I, I look at and we we moved away from smart or, or from sim and we're using smart now. Uh, but I see tools like smart and other analyzers and things as just really expensive hammers. They're just tools. Um, and the subjectivity that you can hear with your ears. That's what I want people to focus on. I want the system to be aligned correctly. I don't always hit delay right by ear. I have to use the tools. Uh, But uh, 
if the line is telling line in the computer is telling you one thing and your ears are telling you something different, you have to pay attention to your ears. And that was my push when I started is just to say, you, you know, people like Brandon had good audio fundamentals coming in and they're doing something that they inherently know is wrong. So it was important to me just to let them do what was right. I see through your, your LinkedIn that you've been uh, at many colleges helping with sound design, either being the professor yourself or other things. Um, Yeah, I've been, I've taught at two different schools at uh, Indiana university and Cincinnati conservatory of music. And then I was the sound supervisor for the Williams college uh, theater department and performing arts center. Right on. So I've been around students a lot. You guys amaze me. So I'll tell a little thing. I I lived in Las Vegas for about eight years and I got to go to the university or Las Vegas and, and meet Brian Shea and a bunch of the people down there that work in sound design for, um, a lot of the strip shows and some of the design work and the ways that they approach getting, the sound to their clients is just like you said, you don't want to blow away four-year-old ears. Everything is taken in consideration. And I, I, I think the sound design, especially from the theater and your show design now it is way different than we look at in a rock and roll or any other touring fashion. Um, what have you brought along from those teaching gigs to Feld that you're now applying that would have been something completely different than they used before. Uh, it's one, it's how to talk to people in a respectful way while conveying information. Uh, I don't, I've always experienced that there's a lack of that in our industry. So that was important to me. One, uh, to value everybody equally and, and know that they can contribute. And what I learned from, from teaching is that if you set expectations, people will usually meet them. So if you want them to exceed, you have to give them, one, the, the power the con- and the confidence to even exceed expectations. So it's important to me to be clear about this is what we need, but also to be clear to people that your idea might be better than mine. And Brandon had so many more better <laughs> ideas than I did. Because <laughs> he had toured. He knew the show. He knew the show. He knew what would work. What When they're going in and coming out, what's going to make it go quicker so we save money? And it's just giving that space to people to... Uh, to make me look good. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Solid. <laughs> Sam, what do you got? Um, not to cop out and ask my one question, but it is my one Go question. It. Um, what do you guys wish you knew when you first started? Ooh. That you know now. Yes. He, I still don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wish I would have better understood a couple things coming from a mostly artistic background. I wish I would have understood 
budgeting and accounting in a corporate setting. I wish I would have understood power. Uh, I still struggle to understand power a lot of times because we're designing the the power systems for our shows as well. Um, and I was too afraid for a little while to to admit that I didn't know enough to contribute to the conversation I was in. So I wish I would have stepped forward with my ignorance sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just would have saved me time. I could have learned uh, what I didn't know a lot quicker and applied it. Mm. So I wasted, you know, a couple months there trying to make sure everyone was confident in me. And I think people are, not necessarily going to be confident in the vast amount of knowledge you may have, but how you can apply it. And I wanted to acquire more knowledge and then apply it. But the acquisition of that knowledge became challenging. So I uh, just started asking it kind of out of need. I ended up uh, for a period of time, kind of being a department of one um, and then grew the team from there. But there were, you know, I f- had to figure things out and had to ask for help when I had to fly a 16 box Meyer M2D array by myself, which I still have all my fingers. So <laughs> I think I did. Okay. Awesome. Um, and I really am interested to hear you said, you know, coming from an artistic background, how is your mindset in the kind of how you look at production and the implementation of it changed over the years, you know, really moving from something that is so subjective when it's artistic to, a far more technical maybe application um i to me it's all telling stories even when i was doing uh a lot of music i worked with a lot of jazz and uh cabaret artists as their sound person and i really learned that i i often i'll use this metaphor i use the metaphor of a painter to talk about sound to people that don't know about what we do and everyone understands what fine art is, what a painting is, what the Mona Lisa is. It's a person, there's paint. So my uh, focus is to be the painter and understand how every single tool along the way, the brushes, the knives, the paint, how to mix the pigment, the type of canvas, the way it's framed, the way it's lit. Like all those things are, uh, you know, you can relate to the nuts and bolts of, of our world in making things happen, but you have to, you have to be a painter with it, not just a operator of gear. You have to use that gear to help tell the story that the artist is trying to tell. Agree. I love that. And I think, I think we've hit on it from a previous episode of talking about, um, you know, how sometimes people want, you know, a live show to sound like a record, right? And so you would talk about, you know, what do you pull from the record that you want to take into the live show? You know, those elements that make the gold record. Um, but at the same time, right, you guys are working with movies. You guys are working with more of the theatrical aspect of it. Um, how do you do that when it's not a record? Um, well, I and I listened to that conversation that you all had. I really enjoyed it. Um, and... For me, kind of what I was, I was listening to it in the car and just kind of politely yelling back at you all. <laughs> um, well, you're here now. That, yeah. 
is that the experience you have, and I'll relate it back to us, the experience you have watching the movie is you, we're not going to be able to recreate that experience. It's, it's impossible. But we can create something different that some people might like more. Uh, and I'd venture to say a lot of kids will like it more uh, because it's so different from watching the movie at, at home or even at a theater. Um, so I, you know, for, for me, it ha- it's its own thing. The themes and stories from the movies we're pulling from are certainly, certainly inform some of that. Uh, but the story is to uh, make lifetime memories for a family. So it's rendering out the content with that idea in mind as, you know, I'm contributing to the system design or the content design or whatever it may be. Absolutely. I mean, and I'd argue to say that what you guys are doing is almost far more tangible. I mean, think about being, you know, four and it's a screen versus a person in front of you. I mean, that's got to yeah, be a world can, of difference. Mickey can give you a high five. Right. Show, it's absolutely. Pre-COVID high five. <laughs> you get a fist bumper, elbow or wave um, yeah. now. But, and Brian, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well, especially someone who's just done it a lot and I was really good at it. You know, uh, something I, I wish I had going in the door that I feel like, um, you know, I, I something I didn't do growing up was just learning an instrument and learning how to read music. And, you know, jumping in with a a very orchestrated band with a conductor, very musical, you know, where you're sitting down in the band room, they're getting new sheets of music, you're trying to follow along. That was something I just didn't have at that time. And I felt like I was playing catch up. And, um, you know, it was it was fun to learn. and It was fun to be a part of that experience. But I, I kind of wish I traditionally in school learned how to just an instrument, you know, uh, and learned how to read music, you know, going into that door, I think it would have helped me immensely. And, and I think it can help a lot of, you know, technicians working with a lot of different music and, and a lot of different ways. You know, Absolutely. I heard Brandon, I heard there aren't many bagpipe players in Delaware. <laughs> it's opening. I think the time is now. Bad my ass. friend. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Chris, you're not the only unicorn tonight. You're not special. Nope. It's, it's I think this relates to what Brad was saying too about the painting the picture and describing it with sound. And I've done this before as well. I I think the the background of the artistry, whether it's whatever your art is, it it allows you to to think outside the lines. And those who go outside the lines sometimes are the best artists. You know what I mean? They they try colors that not necessarily will work in certain situations, but they'll work in this situation. And that's why I asked about the operator thing, because I, I've spoke with people at Disney and, and, and in Disney Imagineering, which are some of the, the smartest people I've ever sat in a room with and just sat there and was stupid for an hour listening to these people talk about things that were almost impossible in my rock and roll head. And that that was what was cool about the painting the picture bit is I think you even if you don't play an instrument even if you don't paint or you don't have that technical or you have super technical ability and you can read and you you follow the manual correctly you develop a really cool artistic thing by doing this repetitively and it is like playing an instrument like Chris has described on the show before pushing the faders and hitting the delay 
is an artistic ability at some point. And getting what your client needs is also an artistic ability. It's, it's like a service art at, <laughs> at that point. And I, this is really cool how it kind of all comes back around. We've had so many people from, from broadcast, rock and roll, theater. You know, it, it, it's a very cool thing that you can almost jump into any bit of this audio and be amazed by a way that you haven't tried this before. And that, that's why I was begging the questions with uh, your university study in sound design. And um, it, it's really interesting to me that you both are directors now of, of the abilities that you've picked up over the years. So you've, you've definitely honed your art in saying that you haven't completed yet and answering Sam's question by saying, I haven't learned anything is probably the best answer because that means you're still striving to kind of figure out where you need to go next to get that next thing. And, and that's amazing. I love hearing that from you guys. You guys are awesome so far. So far, you haven't Thanks. Made it so far, you haven't let me down. The Delaware thing. Apparently, we're not done with that. Screw this up. <laughs> let me talk to you about lighting design. Oh, <laughs> thanks for joining us on the Signals Noise podcast. <laughs> well, well, speaking of actually uh, the, um, being a being an artist and and um, almost a musician, I would say, uh, at least from what I saw from the ice shows, uh, you know, so the 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 head the head audio or the A one whatever you guys <laughs> call it front of house person in that in that world, um, they're not just hitting space bar or a button in Q Lab and go. Um, you guys have, and I've, I've posted pictures about this. Most 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 of our listeners have probably seen this if you're in our Facebook or Discord. But you guys have a little keyboard there, MIDI keyboard, and you're and you're triggering things in in, uh, in Ableton. And can you talk about some? Uh, I know, but can you guys talk about what you're doing there, the the fills you're doing, the choices that people have to make um, throughout a, 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 an ice show, at least for that? Uh, you want me to take this one? Go ahead, bud. So, when when I first got onto the ice show, um, I was horrible at it. <laughs> I was so <laughs> bad at it. Um, there's like definitely an artistic bit to doing, you know, these like symbol rushes for the skaters, and it was even to the point where I had to learn a little bit about skating and how they lead up into their tricks and and the, these like, you know, uh, like the moment that leads up and and visually being able to see that, and then learning different skater styles and and all all these things incorporate to, you know, uh, it, it's not just like, Oh, goofy is about to fall, hit a sound effect. It's, um, you know, there, there was definitely like an artistic level and, you know, it, I eventually got that kind of artistic flow, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely a thing. And, and, you know, looking at some of the other shows like Marvel and Jurassic, I mean, if I showed you some of the fight scenes and some of the sound effects these guys are playing, it's it's wild. I mean, they are all over the place, and they are watching so. It's it's like they're foley. There are so artists, many things happening. We we have foley art. Foley yeah. shows. <laughs> Sam, I told you foley. Oh man, we had we had a com- we had a whole conversation love about it. foley. Man, love it, and that that's was hard. Like power to the people who are good at that because I suck <laughs> at it. Well, it, it's. Uh, you know, we think it's kind of rinse and repeat every week. Um, but every audience is different. You play six to 12 shows in a week. Every single audience is going to be a little different. 
the way the sound person, what, you know, what level he decides to land the show at for that show based on what the audience is doing, what he has to do to adjust it when 10,000 people start singing, let it go all in unison. Um, and then those live sound effects are, are critical because the performers, you know, they're, they're choreographed as well, but there's an organicness to it. And sometimes it's out of necessity, you know, you know, a piece of scenery has died. I have to skate around it. But if we tracked or put those effects in some kind of time code line, it just, it would take away the magic for, from the show. Um, we want those kids and those parents of those kids to just say someone skating and they jumped and there was a whoosh and it made it seem so much bigger. Um, and to do that, you have to dial into the show. You have to, I, I used to always say to students that were, when I was teaching mixing music to, it's like, you're the fifth beetle. All of the sound that's coming off the stage is going to pass through your fingers. You have to know why you're doing it and what you're doing in relation to what the content is. Absolutely. And then, I mean, Feld, you guys do Supercross and Monster Jam and things that, I mean, I don't know how choreographed those are. I would assume not nearly as choreographed as an ice show. Um, <laughs> no, right? they're both sanctioned sports, so it's they're highly competitive. Right. Uh, so I'm sure that's a whole, like, energy and kind of world even separate as opposed to, you know, pulling a movie and telling the story from a Disney aspect as to, oh, these are monster trucks and motorcycles and just crazy things going on. A lot of dirty m cables. That's all I can <laughs> yeah. think about while you're talking about it, is that someone buried the snake and oh, they, everyone and did. Bigfoot drove over <laughs> it 42 times. It's running. It's under the finish line. Oh, man. <laughs> Shop work. Uh, yeah, th those motorsports productions are a whole other thing. Um, and they, I don't have quite as much uh, supervisory and design role with them, um, mostly because they're always integrating into broadcast. Uh -huh. And so th what the broadcast needs are a lot of time dictate what's going to happen and that's not always you know putting on a huge show li live sound show in a stadium isn't always going to translate well to broadcast i'm sure the pa there so is, those uh, are a lot more simple very functional too um depends on the venue because we use house pas for yeah. those shows interesting arenas yeah to if we had to travel we we when we're up and running there's a super cross tour because it's every week is a like kind of like the football season right um and monster jam when it's fully going has six tours going four in arenas and two in stadiums just want to point out i live um, in the home of bigfoot midwest four by four where's St. that Louis, missouri very nice very nice um bigfoot oh, i think is retired yeah, like twenty years not, ago. Not in yeah. my house. Buddy. Like wanna... Not <laughs> in my house. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Nice. That's good stuff. All right, I'm. I'm curious, uh, Brandon. Yeah. What's uh? What's the craziest story you have from your uh, from your touring days with with Phil? Oh man. 
doesn't have to be audio related, you know, but you know, it's just what's, 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 what's your go-to golden story from, uh, from touring. Oh, that's, that's tough. You're going to do the brain injury story. Uh-oh. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. You can't just say that time. and say so no. Like, yep. Go there first. We may go somewhere else. I, so yeah, I may there. have, uh, it was my birthday. <laughs> I went out to get a tattoo in Ebor. We were building a show in rehearsals and, uh, I don't know if you heard about the punch out game or that was kind of going on. It was like a thing. People just yep. get punched out in the yeah. street. Yeah, I got I got laced <laughs> and ended up in the hospital for like close to a month. Uh, traumatic brain injury head right off the sidewalk. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's like it's funny because you, you, you're traveling the world. You're going to all these places and, you know, it's like in your backyard where, you know, something bad happens. So watch your backs out there. <laughs> You know, <laughs> Ebor City is a interesting place. It's in Florida. It's, it's a weird place. Yep. I, I, the only it's the only diplomatic mission from Cuba in the continental United States. Yeah, it looks very, very Hispanic, very Spanish in that area. But um, there's a little nasty club that all the metal bands play at down there as well. As well. And I've been there several times. It, it's like nice during the day and then dicey yeah. at the evening. Yeah. Hours. <laughs> yeah. Brandon goes where he's dicey. <laughs> he, ain't, he ain't scared. I'm too old for that nice. anymore. Brad, your story. Uh, crazy Feld story. Well, um, in 2017 or 18, we opened a show in Japan. Um, and I went to to do my sound director jobs there uh, i'd never been to japan it was super awesome. cool i'm i was felt like a giant six so <laughs> two it was awesome but uh the night before opening uh myself uh my counterpart in the costume department my boss and the director of the show uh, we're kind of happening around a couple restaurants and bars and, and where we were and ended up in a, in a karaoke room, uh, with pictures of drinks. Um, and when we finished, we hadn't realized it, but we started to walk back to the hotel and the sun was coming up. <laughs> so I karaoke till the morning come. There you go. They, they do that in Japan on the normal. There, it's there's, a, there's like a Feld crew bar somewhere out in Japan. Uh, my, my wife would know which one it is, but uh, you could find probably years of tours that have gone through there with just IDs scattered across the wall. You get you That's get a lot of places awesome. where because because yeah. y'all because y'all left them there because you were so inebriated <laughs> or was uh, <laughs> like a rite of passage. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we we typically do um, a food question, but I I I want to take us one step further. And Brandon, you have a very unique relationship to food. I want you to tell people about what you and your wife did. I don't know. So, and for the record, um, Brandon's wife uh, was a skater uh, on the ice show. Um, anyways, cool. so what did you guys? Yeah, we we met on the road. <laughs> That's so cool. Um. Um, she, she was yes. Donald Duck for a period of time. Even yeah, better, we, we we ran like a little it's little important. food stand um, that we uh, you know it'd, it'd be hard to access. Um, you know, 
drinks, snacks, things like that outside of uh, outside of the venue. You know, a lot of times you're doing a three show day on a Saturday and it's just, you know, really hard to get a bite or anything like that. So we would provide snacks, drinks, maybe cook like a midday or, a, you know, after first show day meal. Sometimes we do breakfast where, you know, we're up at, you know, two, two hours before call, you know, chopping veg and getting the slow cookers going. And we did that for a while. And, um, my, we were just upset. My wife is obsessed with food. So she ran a food blog. So, you know, on, on the nighttime after the show is, you know, what's the hottest restaurant? Where can we go? She usually was making friends with some restaurant to do a review or something. So, uh, yeah, tour was all about food. I mean, literally, (laughs) a man after my own <laughs> That's heart awesome. yeah that is awesome we'll have to you, right, Brad, you should let us put your link to that uh blog in in the podcast yeah. description that'd it's be a, cool. a, a hangry wife a hangry wife there it is nice well uh she's, we'll a, definitely she's an excellent it. writer it's a very um, entertaining blog so brad if if we were coming to see you where would you take us to eat uh here where i live currently sure okay (laughs) i think for for us here the best food experiences we've had are actually uh at home uh with friends uh not to say that there aren't some good restaurants around here there certainly are uh but i would prefer to fire up the smoker and the grill and and Make yummy things. He makes wonderful smoked meats. I can contest. Yes. I like to smoke like meats. Too. Um, and other things, too. I smoked uh, some deviled eggs. That was pretty epic. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's delicious. But uh, so that I, that would be my recommendation. Is just come over to my place and we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm down with that. It's cool. All right. So I'm going to ask both of you this. And um, I don't know. But have, um, go backwards. Have. Br- who, well, all right, Kyle, who should go first Brad, on this? Because, Brandon, you've been picking on Brandon Brad. a whole lot. <laughs> all right, cool. All right. So, Brad, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Oh. I'm, yeah. I would, I would hope that my legacy uh, professionally is something that, that lives on through people like Brandon. Uh, and other people that have worked for me and that hopefully they see that, uh, you know, empowering people and giving them respect and uh, doing your best to treat people right. I hope they pay that for Bravo. That'd be a good legacy. I like that a lot. Nice. All right, Brandon, you have a tough act to follow there. So if you could define your legacy, <laughs> how you want to be known, I've, how would you? Uh, I'm, I'm very aligned in the fact that, you know, I, I'd want to carry out and the people I've met. I've I've met so many people and I hope that I've touched a lot of people in, in good ways. Um, I've been with so many techs and, and crews and, and you know, I, I just hope I had a good impact really and that. You know, they're out there somewhere at some bar being like, man, Brandon, help me out on that one. Or or just, you know, uh, I, I hope that I'm somewhere out there in some bar talk just as, you know, cheers to that guy. Awesome. Well, cheers to you guys. Love this it. was fun. That was super fun. Absolutely. It's been fun. So, Brad, if if people were interested, um, you know, in the Feld world, 
what should they what should they do? Uh feldentertainment.com uh is the easiest way. Uh there is a careers tab and under that careers tab we list all the openings that we have. We leave the stagehand positions open and kind of constantly have people that we'll talk to just in case. Um, and, uh, it's not hard to find Feld alumni. So I, you know, look around, maybe someone, you know, has scooped up some elephant poo at some point <laughs> yes. uh, or are fallen down on the ice and have to buy the rest of the crew beer. Yes. So, uh, I think, you know, if you want to work with us, uh, please apply. Uh, we love discovering and finding people that, you know, finding a place for them to be the most successful. That's awesome. Cool. Well, we'll definitely, we'll definitely uh, drop uh, a link to that as well in the description. And um, yeah, go, go, go see some shows people as, uh, as these things come back around. It's a, uh, it's a fun experience. Don't just, don't think just because it's a, uh, it's Disney and you, and if, I would even say, even if you don't have kids, I think it's worth going to some of these experiences and checking it out. I mean, it's 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 some, it's some good stuff. Bring the neighbor kid. Bring a kid from your neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, give a parent a break. <laughs> All right, thanks. Well, it, yeah, Disney Disney's awesome, but like our Marvel Universe Live and Jurassic yeah. World live shows, that demo is there's no end. Like we have, yeah, that's true. You know, Marvel fans and and Jurassic fans from little wee things up to grandmas. Nice.